Thanks so much for checking out this podcast from Anchor Church Southwest. We really hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources, or info, please check out our website, anchorchurch.com.au. 1 Corinthians 13. I know it's not a wedding, and I'm preaching from 1 Corinthians 13. All right. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist in on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Now, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So, now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. And this is the word of the Lord. You guys can have a seat. Welcome again. Welcome to Anchor Church. Um, uh, if you walked in, uh, my name's Arnaldo. Uh, if you walked in late, my name's Arnaldo. I'm the uh, pastor here, and it's so good to be with you. Um, maybe you have caught us on our podcast or on YouTube. It's great to see your faces in person. And what a journey we've had, right? Let me tell you that this moment, being able to open up God's Word and to look into uh, not a, a, a black uh, lens uh, that's standing here while we're all alone without babies crying. Let, let the baby cry. Jesus cried. That's fine. That's not, let's not be anxious about noise. This is a family that we are a part of. And let me just tell you, this moment is sweet for me. Like really, really, really sweet. And so I want to thank you for being here with us. We launched publicly January uh, this year, and barely being out of the gate, a couple months later, we were pushed online due to our lockdowns. And I just want to say that you're here and you've made it. Bumps, bruises, warts, and all, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. I want to say as your pastor, I'm, I'm proud of you, that you held on to the one who was holding on to you. And I'm just so glad that I get to say that in person and, and not have to put it in an email or on, on text or, um, you know, through, through pixels. Um, I'm proud of you. And so this is what we're doing. Last week, we started a short series called Reset, and our hope is that we would be able to position ourselves to flourish in this next season and to do that without, being, uh, without having to cover up falsely uh, the last four and a half months, the last 18 months that we've been through as a community. 
that we would be positioned to flourish. And last week we asked, what do we need from God? What do we need from God as we move into this new season without denying the reality or the effects of the one that we are barely getting out of today? Living in a COVID or post-COVID-19 world, what does that actually look like? And I argue that what we need the most, more than anything else, is the peace of Christ to pervade our being, to pervade our minds, to pervade our cities, to pervade our imaginations, that as we move forward with the scars of the past 18 months, that we would know and that we would embody the peace of Christ in our communities. Now, that was last week, and you can catch that again. It's online somewhere in the interwebs. And this week, what I want to do, I want to move that conversation forward and ask this. Who are we going to be then? What is going to mark us? What are we becoming? How do we know that we are doing what God has called us to do? This is the question. The question is, what will be the measure of our success? What will be the measure of our success as a church? Will we be a church that's just a church by name because we call ourselves a church? Or will we truly embody God's calling and purpose for us and for our own lives for the sake of this generation? And the question, what, what, what's that even going to look like? We, will we be a church just by name or will we, we embody the calling and purpose for our lives for the sake of this generation? That's the question for us. And before we dive in, help me to pray. Father, we thank you again for your goodness to us. We thank you that the deepest and the truest thing about this universe is that you are good and you are consistently good. There is no shadow. There is no turning. You are good through and through. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would uh, have your goodness felt in this place. Help me to forget the things that I prepared that are not going to be helpful. Help me to remember the things that will be. I pray for those, Lord, who are hurting, who are confused, who, um, Lord, have uh, not only scars but open wounds in this place. And may you apply your healing balm today by the gospel. Be with us, we pray. If there are others who are far from Jesus, who may not know him, who haven't submitted their life to him, Holy Spirit, I pray unashamedly that today would be the day of salvation for them. Those who may be uh, uh, lukewarm or just like teetering or, or playing with you, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would bring them along and give them new life and purpose and hope today. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. In 2009, a show aired on HBO called Pawn Stars. P-A-W-N, Pawn Stars, right? And I know that what we're thinking, it's so 2009, so edgy, right? And all these shows, all these shows in, in, in uh, you know, the 90s and the early 2000s had really cheesy names. It's kind of a grimy, if you've ever seen it, it's kind of a grimy, low-brow version. It's, 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 uh, it's set in Las Vegas. It's a, it's a grimy version of Antique Roadshow. Maybe you're familiar with that. And so the Antique Roadshow and Pawn Stars have the same premise. You bring your goods in in order to sell them for the most amount of, you know, to get the most amount of money. And both Pawn Stars and Antique Roadshow, they off, often would be experts there that would assess the authenticity of the thing that you're bringing, whether it is a baseball card or a diamond or I've seen Super Bowl rings being brought, your grandma's antique clock. They'd often be these experts, because they knew how to tell a real from a fake. 
They knew how to tell a real signature from a fake one. That was their job. For instance, today there are machines that can tell whether your diamond is real or not. Right? You just put that machine to the diamond. Ladies, don't do this. You may embarrass your husbands. But uh, you, 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 you put that machine to the diamond, and it tells you whether or not it's real or fake. But before those machines, uh, you would have to look into a diamond with a magnifying glass and look for something called inclusions. An inclusion is just a nice way of saying uh, it had a, a bit of a fault. It, it had a bit of an uh, uh, imperfection within the diamond. No inclusions. It's probably a fake. Now, uh, if you've ever seen a cubic zirconia or, or you know, a man-made diamond, a fake diamond, they're just as beautiful on the outside. Or they're called di- they're just as beautiful, but they're not quite a diamond. And many of us would be duped. The test of authenticity is not that it just looks like a diamond or it's called a diamond. The test of authenticity is what does what's inside match on what's on the outside. That, that's the test of authenticity. That what's on the inside matches the outside. And as we look at our church, we have to ask the same question. Does what's on the inside match what's on the outside? Match what we put on social media, right? Like anything looks good when you slow it down and add some music, right? But, you know, church, like, then that's not our experience. And we wish that it were. But the beauty that we see, the the, the beautiful photos and, and images that we put out to the world, is that what like, do we experience that? Is that, our, is that what we are? We can call ourselves Christians. We can call ourselves the people of God, disciples of Jesus, everyday missionaries to our culture. We can use whatever language we want. But does what's on the inside match what's on the outside? Do our relationships, our actions, our decisions within this church, do they match what we say? Do, do we walk the talk? And will we be a people that walks the talk? I'm not interested in playing church. I'm not interested in simply planting a service. This is easy to pull off, but will we be the people of God when we leave? My vision for this church is that we would be a people that would push back the darkness in our lives and in our neighborhoods, a people that wouldn't count their lives too precious but would walk with a holy swagger that knows that to live is Christ and to die is gain. A people that would be humble and serve out of the knowledge that all of your needs have already been met in Christ. A people that would pursue hell-shaking holiness for the sake of the world. A people that will truly partner with God for the renewal of all things. A place where healing and purpose and real belonging can be found. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for us. And that means, that means that the things, the things that we use to measure how our lives are going personally and how our church is tracking as being formed into the people of God are different from what the culture, both inside and outside of the church, use to measure their success. What will be the measure of our success? Now, it's helpful to outline what something isn't so as to clarify what it is. And I want to outline some false ways that we can measure the success of our lives and of our church. Now, I want to say this very, very clearly. What I'm about to say, I'm not against these things. I'm actually for them. Okay, I'm for what I'm about to say. 
but they cannot by themselves be the measure of our church. They cannot be the measure of our success. They're good. They're good things. Things that we pray for, things that we hope for, things that we work for, things that we put our sweat into. And yet, by themselves, cannot be the measure of the success of our church. And the first one is this, the size of our church. Listen, I want to grow. I want this church to grow in all senses of the word. I'm sweating. This thing is not holding. That's why I'm wearing a hat. I want to grow. There's a deep desire in my heart to, and in my gut to see us expand in every sense of the word, in every direction. I want us to grow both in our depth and in our breath. And this is not a bad thing. I want to see more people proclaim this. Jesus is Lord. My whole life, whether I am a pastor or not, whether we planted this church or not, my whole life is calibrated to this statement, seeing more people say, Jesus is Lord. I want that. That is not a bad thing. I want people to flood this church who may have walked away from Jesus, who may have even been hurt by the church. Several times in the book of Acts, we find Luke saying, and the church grew, and the church grew, and this many people were added to their number daily. And so don't take me Don't take this as me saying in any way that I'm against our church growing numerically. But I refuse. I will refuse. I will refuse. I will refuse to make that numeric growth alone the measure of this church. There must be more. There must be more than growing and balanced budgets. There must be more than bums on seats. There must be more than a chic aesthetic There must be more than a larger crowd for the sake of a larger crowd. There must be more than programs. There must be more than even powerful or prophetic preaching. There must be more than a performance on Sundays. I'm not here for that. I don't want you to be here for that. I don't want you to be here as a consumer consuming a service. Size can often become the measure of success in our churches, but it's not the only thing that we can point to. The other thing that we can be tempted to point to is the theology of our church. Making the purity of our theology the measure of our success. Now, I feel like I have to be even clearer here, okay? Let let me just give you a bit of of a CV. I spent eight years completing two theological degrees. Throughout lockdown, I took maybe 14, 15 hours to prepare something called Introduction to Theology a nine-week course where we got on Zoom and we discussed really deeply some matters of theological importance. I I say that not not to boast. There's nothing to boast. I took eight years to complete a three-year degree. Okay, guys, I'm not like trying to make myself look good here. But I want to say this, that theology is really, really, and theology is simply this, words we say about God. Theology is really, really, really important. I back that. I mean, I give my life to that, right? It's so important, again, that I I spent so much time doing this. And I thank you for those who were able to make it, those sessions of digging deep into the Nicene Creed and talking about the incarnation and how Jesus can be fully God and fully man. These things are beautiful things to work through and to work into our lives. And still, 
still, we cannot make the measure of our success, the purity of our theological understanding. Knowing how to parse a Greek verb or knowing what the ordus salutis is, knowing the difference between, listen to this, infralapsarianism and superlapsarianism, all of you just checked out, right? All the, and, those, and those things are important. I'm, 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 not, I'm not like against those things, but being a Calvinist won't save you. Being an Arminian does not save you. Being a complementarian doesn't save you. Being an egalitarian doesn't save you. Your theory of atonement does not save you. Your political affiliations don't save you. Jesus saves you. Je like what Jesus has done historically, ontologically, in person 2,000 years ago, that is the thing that saves you. And so, I want to say that the size of our church is not going to be the measure of our success. I want to say that even the theological purity, as important as it is, is not going to be the measure of our success. They are important. They are very important. We will give our time. We will give our sweat. We will give our uh, thinking to these things. And yet they cannot serve as the measure of our success. You've been and you've seen churches where they taught the right things, where they said the right things, but they were devoid of love, devoid of mission, devoid of, of anything, of, of the heart of Jesus. And, and yet, and yet, and yet, they got things really, really right. And so, there's, there's nothing almost, there's almost nothing more damnable than joyless theology. Theology is not boring. And if it is, we've done something wrong. The size of our churches can't be the measure. The purity of our theology cannot be the measure of our success. So what will be the measure of our success, Southwest? What will be, what, what is the thing that we are pouring everything into? The measure is this. The measure simply has to be love. The measure will be love. Love is not a strategy for us, and love is not weak. I, I think I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. That my, my boy Rich has this, um, a, a friend of mine from New York, he has this, uh, this quote where he says, love, so often people will um, come up against us and say, it's so weak to just preach on love. And that is such a misunderstanding of the love of God. The love of God is the most powerful agent for transformation. The most powerful agent for transformation. If you feel that preaching on the love of God is somehow weak. You do not understand yourself, and you do not understand the love of God. It is the most powerful agent of transformation, and love is not a strategy for us. We don't use love as a means to something else, even if it is a soil out of which everything else grows. We don't use love as a strategy, as a means to something else, even though it is the soil out of which everything else grows grows. We will know that we are keeping in step with the Spirit, as Paul tells the Galatian church, as we grow in our love for one another. That's it. And if you think, oh, it doesn't seem too hard. Like, do you know each other yet? Like, do you really know each other yet? Love, love in theory is sweet. It is easy. Love, concretely, people, who naturally you wouldn't like, 
naturally you wouldn't gel with, who are different than you, whether skin or socioeconomic status or whatever, political affiliations, people who are different from you are very difficult to love. You are difficult to love by someone else. We'll know that we're keeping in step with the Spirit as we grow in our love for one another. So let me state as clearly as possible, if you decide to join this, this church, if this is the place that you call home, then this is what you're signing up for. My hope and dream is that Anchor Southwest would be an engine of renewal for our city. Like that's a whole sermon series alone by itself. But that we would be a place that creates culture makers, not just culture consumers. And that we would be an engine of renewal for this city. My hope and dream is that you would wake up from the small suburban dreams that you've inherited about what your life is supposed to be about. My hope and my dream is that we would do whatever it takes to bring the wayward home. My hope and my dream is that you would die to the things that keep you back from the holiness that God wants to form in you. My hope and dream is that we would be a part of the churches in our generations that change the world and leave it just, man, just a little bit better than what we found it. Like, can, can we sign up for that? In a word, my hope and prayer is that we would understand that while many things are good, while we may pursue many things, and we will as a family, the measure of our success isn't how many people come or how much money we have in our bank account or how big of an auditorium we can fill or how many downloads or clicks we get on our socials. My hope and prayer is that you would join me in shifting the goalposts and begin to see the outworking of love as the measure of our success. The outworking of love. Not just the feeling, but the outworking of love. And this is exactly... We're getting there. We're getting to the text. This is exactly where Paul in our text takes us today. I want to remind you of who Paul is addressing in this text here in Corinthians. 1 Corinthians uh, is about a church that is messed up. Let, let me just say, if you've ever read 1 Corinthians, it is a church that is messed up. Cliques had formed. They, were, they, weren't, pursuing ho- they weren't pursuing holiness. A dude was sleeping with his mother-in-law, and everyone was like... <laughs> saying that's okay. People were getting drunk on communion wine, by the way. Like, this is what was happening. People were getting drunk on the communion wine in the church of Corinth. They were finding their identity in showmanship and outward pomp. They cared more about titles than they did about serving. The Corinthians, they loved to show off that they can speak in tongues. They loved to show off that they had knowledge. They loved to show off their faith that can move mountains. They loved to show off their works of justice. They loved to show all of that off. And, uh, you know, if, if, if Corinth was a church today, we'd, we'd probably invite whatever leaders were there to, like, this church growth conference. Like, we'd, we'd put them on a stage, we'd give them a pedestal, and we'll say, teach us your ways, regardless of what's happening in your church, regardless of the sin that is running rampant in your church, regardless of the lack of character that you guys have, teach us how to grow our church. Teach us how to be more charismatic. We'd sweep their sin under the rug, well, because look at how successful they are. But Paul launches into one of the most famous parts of Scripture, usually thought as the best wedding sermon ever preached. But it is not a text for uh, uh, marriages. Although we can use them, it is a text for the church. And this is what he says. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy or clanging cymbal. 
if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. We've read this so many times that we forget what he's saying. The, 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 the word in Greek of all means all. All. Like he's saying, if I understand, every, if I understand how the atom works, if I understand how like, exploding stars work, if I, if I understand everything that there is to understand about the world, everything, if I have all faith as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned and have not love, I gain nothing. The contrast, is here, the contrast here is real. It cannot get more radical than what this is. Paul is saying that you are simply a conglomeration of noise, annoying noise, like walking into a preschool kind of noise. Like just this cacophony of sounds and body sort of fluids and just this just, just like chaos of sound. And, and, and even, even less than that, right? Because that's kind of beautiful in its own way. But he's saying you, you are nothing but clanging cymbals, doing nothing, saying nothing, for nothing, if you speak in the tongues of angels but have not love. Paul is saying you can understand all mysteries. You can understand everything. You can have power. You can have faith. But if you don't have, have love, and he uses some strong language here, he says you, like he gets, he gets this, this attitude, this urban attitude, you are nothing. <laughs> nothing. That's strong language, by the way. Like this should, this should do something to us. This should press on us in some kind of way that we can know everything, we can do everything, we can have the power to do everything, and yet if we do that without love, you are nothing. This is wild language. Paul's measure of success is vastly different to, to the prevailing Corinthian culture. Vastly different. Nothing short of love, oper operative love, love operating in action is the center for Paul. And nothing short of this love as an operating action will be the center of Anchor Southwest. It's not just here and it's not just Paul. All throughout the New Testament, we're commanded to love one another. There are 101 times where the phrase one another comes up. Out of those 101 times, there are about 50 that tell us how to treat one another. Out of those 50, we have 14 that say love one another. Love one another. The ground of this love isn't just some sociological or evolutionary strategy to help us survive or flourish. We love, why? Because one John tells us, one John says, we love because he first loved us. In this is love, Jesus tells his boys just before he's about to be crucified the next day and this is love that one laid down his life for his friends and all this is true because love is laced within the fabric of the universe because the grand architect is love this is what john has to say about it he says beloved and just for beloved receive that today like that is the deepest and truest title for you Beloved, the loved one. Like we, 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 we so often, when we read scripture, we just bypass this. Beloved, it's just, just a title. No, 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 it's not, it's not just a title. This is saying you are the one God cherishes. 
You are the one that God loves. You are the loved one of God. Before you are anything else, before your mommy and your daddy gave you a name, you were the beloved of God. Before you chose a clique to run with in school, you were the beloved of God. Before you chose your profession, whatever you were going to study in uni, you were the beloved of God. Before you chose the person that you were going to marry or chose that you were never going to get married, like some of my kids, like, I'm not marrying anyone. Like, are we doing something wrong here? You know? But before any of that, before you tie yourself to any other category, beloved, that is the truest thing, that is the deepest thing about you. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. But this is the kicker in the next verse. Anyone who does not know God, uh, sorry, anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. Let me go on the record. I don't like the book of 1 John. It pierces me every single time to my soul. Like it cuts me in half. If we say that we love God, but don't love our brothers and our sisters, Scripture says you are a liar. I'm a liar. Like our love of one another and our love for God are so intricately tied that Jesus says that when you visit a prisoner in jail, it's like you're visiting me. When you give a cup of cold water to a kid who's thirsty, it's like you've given it to me. That's what, that's what he says, Matthew 25. He says, you know, he, there's a scene, this last judgment scene, and, 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 uh, and they come up to Jesus. And they say, and, and Jesus says to them, Man, like you came to visit me, like you clothed me, you gave me food, you gave me drink, and, and they're like, whoa, hold, like when, we didn't, we, didn't do, we didn't do that to you, like what do you mean? He goes, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. And to others, and to others, and they go, we like, what, what, like, what do you mean? We, we, like, we didn't do it for them, but the, the, like how does that affect, like my relationship with you? And for us, in living in our world, we live with such an hyper-individualistic faith that it's just about me and Jesus. And I want to say absolutely not. It is a personal faith. Absolutely it is personal. But it is never private. The way that we love God, we can say we love God till we're blue in the face. But the world isn't waiting for us to tell them Jesus loves you. The world is waiting for, to see that we love one another. And by that, we can point to the reality that God has poured his love into us. What the world is waiting for is to see a church, a group of people that love one another. And this is what the uh, pastor and, and missiologist Leslie Newbigin said when he, he called this the hermeneutic of the gospel. Now, hermeneutics is just a theory and practice of interpretation. We all do it. We all interpret the newspaper, a poem. We all interpret every, a, anything that we read. And what Leslie is saying and what he means here is that when the world sees us, us ordinary, regular, listen, I love you, but like we're not impressive, Right? Like, can we, like, is that okay to say? You may have walked in here thinking, you know, that you, you know, I said some things in my head, right? But, uh, 
that it doesn't stink, and you're like, you're, you're top dog, and you know, you, and I'm sorry to cut you down. I don't mean to do that. But we're not all that impressive. Maybe a couple of us are, sure. But we're not all that impressive. But when the world sees a regular kind of people without the same culture, skin, you know, skin color, socioeconomic status, we're from different places, we came in here believing different things, we still believe different things. When the world sees us love one another, and they say, how? Like, they should hate each other. Or at least they should be indifferent to one another. When the world sees that, that interprets the gospel. That is why the community of God is the hermeneutic of the gospel. And John brings it home, right? He says this in 1 John 4.20 uh, when he says, you know, if anyone says, again, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Dorothy Day, I don't know if you've heard of Dorothy Day, she was an author, Uh, she said this, she said, I really only love God as much as I love the person I love least. (laughs) I've really debated on putting this back in, I've preached this before. I love God as much as I love the person I love least. The way in which we show our love for God is by embodying that to one another. That's what I want to do here. So what does it look like as a church to hit reset? It looks like committing to this vision of what we are becoming by grace, a community shaped by love, in love, for love. It looks like shifting the goalpost of uh, not only your, uh, our communal life, but our, uh, as a part of Anchor Southwest, but shifting the goalpost in our personal lives that you make, my hope and my prayer is that we would all make loving well, loving God, loving others, loving ourselves well, that we would make that the reason why we exist. That you make that the grid through which you make all of your decisions. And how are we going to do this together? A, a, a couple ways that we're going to do this together is this. The first one is we want to be making emotionally healthy disciples of Jesus. That, that's what a church does. Matthew 28, right? Make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you even till the end of the age. Now, one of the ways that we do that is by encouraging everyone here to uh, go on a journey called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, where we get together, we read a book, and we learn what it means to love well. We learn what it means to love well. And loving well, what we find out, takes practice, and that's okay. It seeks, uh, the, the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship course that we go through, it seeks to give us a few tools in order to put this desire to love well into practice. But the second thing we want to do is that we want to live as everyday missionaries. We want here at Anchor Southwest to continually emphasize our missionary identity, that we are missionaries. Now, we have some missionary partners in the Philippines, Ruth and Scott. They're back here uh, during COVID, uh, but we support them as a church. They're not the only missionaries, though, that we support. We're all missionaries. Whomever you encounter at work, at home, in your neighborhood, God has sent you on a mission to that place, to that person. It doesn't mean that you get a soapbox and you start preaching about hellfire. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is this. That our whole lives are lived out out of the mission of God. 
God is doing something. And we've, we've spent so much time theologizing about what God is doing rather than understanding that we're in the game. You and I, we have skin in the game. We're not on the sidelines. We're not Ted Lasso. We're one of those other guys, right? Like on the pitch. We're in the game. We are everyday missionaries. You're a missionary of Jesus to whomever you interact with, wherever you interact with them. And if you follow Jesus here today, if you consider yourself a disciple of Jesus, let me tell you this. You are an emissary of the king. You go with his authority. Do you remember uh, in 300, right? The, this is Sparta kind of kick. Is everyone remember? Am I showing my age here? There, there's this beautiful scene. It's, it's just, it's crazy, right? And this is Sparta and Leonidas. He kicks this dude into the, the shaft. That guy, that, he was an emissary. He came with the power and the authority of the rival king. And we come, as we have the Spirit of God in us, this is what we need to understand, that we are kings and queens, and we come with the authority of Christ. All authority has been given to me, Jesus says, and I'm with you. We'll talk much more about this next week, but we do this in a few ways. We do this by hosting dinner parties, by hosting alpha courses, by engaging in a, a something we call 545. Now, 545 is, is this. It's, it's a, a, a commitment from us to do these five things for five people. The first one is that we commit to pray for them daily. Maybe someone who isn't following Jesus at the moment or someone who's walked away from faith, we commit to pray for them daily. We commit to contact them weekly. We commit to blessing them once a month. We commit to inviting them to special events. And finally, we commit to sharing our faith with them as opportunities arise. And there's actually a small little bookmark on the Connect Desk. Please go take one, it's yours. Write their names down, keep it as a bookmark, as a way to remember that we are everyday missionaries. And the third thing, and not the last, but the third thing, the last thing we'll be talking about today, is we want to nurture authentic community here. And we're going to do this by committing to joining together on Sundays and listening to God's Word preached, taking communion together. Our members are part of something called gospel communities where we meet in people's homes and we share our stories and we share our lives. One of the greatest gifts in this season of lockdown has been my gospel community where we've decided to share our stories. And it has been the sweetest season of repentance, the sweetest season, like if tears can be sweet, that's what we've experienced at our gospel community. Even this morning, when we were sharing our stories. Where we put to shame, shame. Where we crucify shame by telling our stories. Where we dive into the depth and the beauty of our lives. And the complexity and the, the ugliness and the, just the chaos of our lives. And seeing how God is weaving a beautiful tapestry through them. And while there are many other things that we'll do as a church in order to cultivate this mission of making love the measure of our success, these are just some of, some of the ways that we're seeking to do this. So, I'm going to finish up soon, don't worry. I never really know how long I'm going to go for. By the way, when, when, when I go to preach to places, they're like, hey, can you preach 25 minutes? I say, maybe. Part one. So this is my invitation. This is my invitation to you. That we hit reset as a church family as we get out, as we, we're out of lockdown, we're going to start meeting again, that we hit reset as a church family. And let's make this our goal, 
that we love well. That's it. That we love well. Because that is how the world will know that we are his. Next week, when we talk about mission being an explosion of joy, where Jesus says, how will they know that I have sent you? By the neon signs on your buildings. Right? By how many books you sell. That's how, that's how they'll know that, that, that I sent you. By your popularity. That's how they're going to know. By how you look. That's how they will know that I sent you. What, what did he say? By the way that you love one another. That's how the world will know. And so... That's what I'm asking you to sign up for. It's simple, and yet it's going to cost us everything. It's going to cost us our pride. It's going to cost us our, you know, it's going to tell us to, to lay down our lives for one another in ways that may be uncomfortable. That's what I'm inviting you to. I'm not inviting you to an easy, like, you know, I, in some sense, there's a temptation to stand up here and say, I just want to invite you to a life of just endless purpose and hope. And yes, that's all true. But the way that we get there is not the way, uh, the path through glory, but the path through the cross, where we die to ourselves, where we give up of our own rights for the sake of others. And if that's you, listen, if you don't know Jesus and you'd like to follow, no, Siri, if you don't know Jesus and you'd like to follow him, it's as simple as this. I'd love to invite you right now. I'd love to invite you right now to receive the grace and the pardon that's available to you. The grace that doesn't just free you from an eternal existence apart from love, apart from God, but one that makes you into an ambassador of love. There is nothing else that I would want to give my life to, and there's nothing else that I would rejoice in more than to see you move from death to life, from not following Jesus to following Jesus. And it's a simple act of receiving a gift. The gift of the Son of God, crucified for you, risen for you, ascended for you. And the Bible says that when we believe in our hearts and proclaim with our tongues that Jesus is King, we will be saved. And so Anchor Church West, Anchor Southwest, Anchor, South, Anchor, Anchor Church Southwest. <laughs> I'm so excited for what's in store for us. The road is going to be hard sometimes. The sacrifices will be real. But the joy of being part of, a pe of the people of God for the sake of the world, not just for the sake of ourselves, not for institutional sort of progression, but for the sake of the world, there will be not one sacrifice, I promise you. There will not be one sacrifice that when you see Jesus face to face, you will regret. Let me pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you again for your goodness to us. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. I pray that those, Lord, who are here, who may be far from you, I pray that you would bring them near. Be with us now, we pray. Holy Spirit, bring life, new life, even now. Bring depth, bring a fire to those who may have fallen asleep. Maybe uh, we are following Jesus. Maybe, maybe we, we consider ourselves Christians, Lord. But the fire is gone. The holy fire of love, the holy fire of mission. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would light that ablaze now. And we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.